just on a puddle after the annual Detroit rain, and I would surely be your Peter. Let me meet you on the road, Lord, just once. You wouldn't have to blind me on I-75. Just a few bright lights on the way to church, and I would surely be your Paul. Let me meet you, Lord, just once. Anywhere, anytime. Just meeting you in the word is so hard sometimes. Must I always be your Thomas? Although I subbed in some, some, some things that we know like I-75 and Lake Erie, this poem from, from Norman Shirks is a poem that is an, a, an illusion. It helps us connect with Thomas. And I think that some of us have connected with Thomas. Some of us have found ourselves in a, in a place of doubt. And uh, this text that we're going to read today, it brings us face to face with doubt. No mask, right looking at this concept of doubt. So I ask that you join me in Mark as we don't start with doubt. We actually start with another D. We start with some drama. We start in Mark chapter 9, verse 14, and in verse 14 through 16, there's an argument happening between Jesus' disciples and some scribes, and they are beefing. Some drama is taking place, and we don't know exactly what the argument's about, but what we do know is that somebody else cuts through the drama. He has this, this, this issue, and all of a sudden, in the midst of this clash taking place, Jesus shows up, and this parent realizes they need to talk with Jesus. And so they cut through the drama and get right to God. They have this conflict, and they think that their conflict their issue is greater than the conflict that they're debating about. And so while this drama is taking place, they come to Jesus right away and say something like, teacher, in verse 17, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able to. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. There's this problem. There's this conflict. There's this issue that the father has. And he, and he says, my son, my son, my my son has this issue. He's demon possessed. And, and you can imagine the emotion of this father who's had to watch his son being tossed to and fro. We're going to be talking a bit today about an interesting topic because it's a topic that a lot of us haven't mastered. A lot of us don't have a ton of experience in. A lot of us might seem to be quite weird. And it's the topic of demon possession. You ever seen someone possessed? I personally have not. The closest I've come to something like this took place in my high school. A really kind guy 
a really soft-spoken guy, a guy that was about 6'6", a tall guy, two inches taller than me. He weighed about 295, 310, a big guy, but he, he, was, he was solid. The kind of guy that on a football team, you just let, just let him go by. And this guy was, a, was in my class. And what I did not know and was not prepared for was that this young man had seizures. But he didn't just have seizures where he would, uh, um, his seizures were disruptive to say the least to our class environment. Because when he would have a seizure, he would start by taking his hat off and then he would look in a corner and he would scream at the top of his lungs and then he would fall down out of his chair onto the floor. And our teacher knew him. So right when our teacher saw that look in his eye, the teacher would start to say, now class, begin to calm down. You too, I need you to scoot to the side, give him some space, let it. And the class would, the teacher would talk to the class while he was having this episode. And that was terrifying for me as a student. And I wasn't this young man's father. I wasn't this bond of of a person that wants to make sure that they can protect, that they can provide, that they can ensure an environment of safety. I was just a, a student and I felt scared, but I also felt sad for him. Because each time he would get up, he would realize that he had just had a seizure and that he had to go get his backpack from this side of the room and his shoes from this side of the room. And then we would continue class as if nothing happened. But I saw for a moment something that could potentially be painful for this young man. And that pales into comparison what this father is bringing to Jesus. This father is bringing to Jesus something demonic, something that is not simply a, a physical ailment. This is something that seeks to bring harm to his child. Later, he will say that it's not just fits that some liberal theologians don't even see Jesus as performing miracles. So they try to explain away everything. This isn't just seizures. These are things that are seeking to harm his son, drown him, have him burned in fire. And so this man is desperate. This father is, is, is desperate. He is in a place of despair as he is bringing forth this need. And he comes to the disciples. You remember the disciples? This, this crew of Jesus? In Mark 6, just three chapters ahead, Jesus commissions them. Our sister Colette told us about going and telling that, that, that this Jesus says to his people, his crew, I'm giving you all some authority. He summons the 12 and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority in chapter 6, verse 7, over unclean spirits. 
And in verse 12, it says, so they went out and preached that people should repent and they drove out demons. This is what the disciples were doing, bringing people to Christ, but taking out demons that were wreaking havoc in the lives of people. The disciples were rolling this way. And then this man who's like, great, they did it for them. They did it for them. They did it for them. Now it's my turn. Let me bring my child. And they weren't able to do it. This man's in his place of despair, in a place of need. Maybe you know that type of despair where you've listened to the vlogs, you've read the blogs, and if one more person that hasn't actually taken the time to listen to your issue gives you a bit of advice, you're going to go crazy. You now need Jesus for the depths of your issue. Continue with me. As we see the interaction that that Jesus has with this man who's in a place of despair. Verse 20. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him immediately and convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, you get that? But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father, the child, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe Help my unbelief. I want to unpack something that 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 is a little misunderstood in Christian circles. It is clear here that this man is behaving in a way that that Jesus does not desire. That this man puts an if on God that can do anything. But, but sometimes the way we understand doubt and the way we talk about doubt can be very unhealthy. I mean, on, on one hand, some of you may have been, been raised in Christian circles or come to faith in Jesus. And, and what you understand about doubt is, is kind of this, this playground of uncertainty where you like to delight in doubt. It's the Christian mindset of devil's advocate, where in every circumstance you're trying to look for, for how do I create uh, an environment of questioning, uncertainty, and what you don't realize is doubt is dangerous. Doubt is not something just to be toyed with and seen as something that's fun. Actually, doubt can be quite dangerous. We know that doubt is, is, is wrestling with a, a bit of uncertainty. But then there's the other side of doubt. That in, that in Christian circles, oftentimes we look at doubt as if doubt in and of itself is this, this concept that, that means you have no faith, no belief. 
And you should feel shame and be, and be uh, embarrassed that you would even question anything. Do you see how, how doubt can be used in a Christian sense to say, go delight in it or never touch it or engage with it? And, and I want to say, no, use doubt as a tool of discernment. Discern why you are doubting. Don't simply delight in it at all ways. But don't ignore when you are questioning something that you are experiencing. Os Guinness, uh, a, a theologian, and uh, a little bit later, we're going to put in the, in the chat a, a link to an article Os Guinness wrote called I Believe in Doubt. And the only reason I'm not sending it to y'all now, y'all might click on it and start reading it. Stay with me. But Os Guinness says this. He says, in the scriptures, by contrast, we find a realistic yet healthy view of doubt, which regards it as definitely serious, but not terminal. Understood properly, the biblical view sees the role of doubt as constructive to belief. A bold Christian affirmation is that because faith in Christ is true and fears no question or challenge, doubt can be a stepping stone to a tougher and deeper faith. In this sense, George McDonald asserted doubts are messengers of the living one to be honest, to be real, to be true, to be sincere, to be open to this God who is everything. And you can say in full despair, I wanted my son to be healed. Your folks were healing. I brought him to them, they couldn't do it. And now I sit here. If you can do it. Do you, do you, do you see how 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 doubt is 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 is. You see, doubt. When you allow it to become definitive, doubt leaves the dad to not find Jesus. If if this man no longer has faith, if this man is in a place where doubt automatically means that you don't have any faith, any God, then we could surmise here that the father would just say, oh, well, they failed me. Forget this God. I'm good. No one can heal me. I'm good. But no. He has enough belief to keep pressing on to Jesus. But also enough honesty to realize that what he is hoping for is beyond what he can see. And sometimes that gap of believing something that we can't see, but still having a sense of hope is what needs to be presented to God. I believe, but help my unbelief with this gap. Help me see my child being hurt over and over again. And believing that your men could do it and they didn't, and yet I still am here at your feet. Help me. I'm not talking about like, like, like straight up disbelief, y'all. I'm not talking about 
You know, like 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 Zechariah with Elizabeth when when the angel tells him about her having a baby and 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 he just like questions God, you know, just like like straight up like disbelief and 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 was punished for that. I'm talking about more like 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 Asaph. Asaph was a writer of the of of within the Psalms. And in uh in Psalm 73 he wrote these words. He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Hold up, hold up, hold up. God is good. God is real. I know God is in this, but I'm starting to struggle because I see everybody else coming up. The very people who are against you seem to be doing the best. And I'm in this place of belief, but this gap that I can't somehow make up and understand and wrap my mind around. But in Psalm 73, he continues on in verse 16. He says, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. So he doesn't let doubt take him to a place where he's done. I'm good. Saw some uncertainty. I'm gone. No, he still pursues God and enters into the place of worship. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. Yet I am always with you. Verse 23, you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. And in glory. Another brother. Brother who the poem was written after. Don't 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 get me wrong. You, you're not going to go find uh, when you start to do your Amazon searches of like biblical figures to model your life after. You know, you get David and Deborah's and, you know, you don't you don't get Thomas too often. We don't get too many like four ways to be just like Thomas. So 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 hear me, your pastor is not crazy enough to just like elevate all aspects of Thomas's character. But I but I do believe Thomas got a bad rap. I believe sometimes if we can be honest, we relate to Thomas way more than we relate to Paul and Peter. We know what it's like to experience joy, experience love, experience something that is so real and then to experience the pain of losing it. That was Thomas. Loved Jesus, walked with Jesus, taught by Jesus, by Jesus, ate with Jesus, saw Jesus do miracles, and then Jesus blessed him to be able to be an extension of his authority. And then he saw him die. Then he saw his, 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 his savior crucified. And now there's this gap. There's this, this belief in who God is, but also this, this unbelief because of what I've just seen. And how can all this work together? And it would have been clear 
that that Thomas would have been an unbeliever like Judas if that had been his story. But no, he's not a Judas. He is one that that in struggling with this disbelief and that disbelief was unhealthy, but in still being in the midst of his disciples. If you look in John chapter 20, it says uh, in verse 24, now Thomas, one of the 12, was with the disciples when Jesus came. He didn't abandon the faith. He didn't leave and say, I'm done. He didn't leave and say, y'all lying so much. I can't even be around y'all no more. He's still walking with the men of God. And when Jesus comes, Jesus got something to say to him. Jesus says, we have, uh, the other disciples say, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in the nails um, where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And, and later the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and he said to all of them, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. You see that 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 gap. He's still trying to take steps of faith while struggling with probably the deepest question he's ever had to ask himself, which is in the midst of putting my whole life into this. Is it still worth it? And I believe when we wrestle with that question, when we ask these tough questions of doubt, that God will answer us. God will show up. I can't tell you what the answer will be. But I believe that our God responds and that all doubt should not just be something that we just run to and try to make find ways to undermine God and find out if we can be devil's advocate or that we should ignore any type of questioning that we might have when situations are real. You can bring it to God. He delights in us bringing it to him. And I believe. He will respond. But that's a portion of the text. A portion of the text where we see the dad in despair. And we see him doubt, but that that doubt doesn't stop him from pursuing Christ. And it doesn't allow and it doesn't lead Christ to say, I won't help you. That doubt doesn't mean that he automatically becomes an unbeliever that's unrepentant. We see that doubt help lead towards this man being honest with Jesus about where he is and the help he needs. And that is our challenge not presenting the perfect self, but actually presenting, God, here are the shortcomings and where I need thee. Would you help my unbelief? Continue with me. Because if despair is what this man entered and experienced that led him to this place of doubt, this Jesus still offers 
deliverance. Look with me, verse 25. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciple asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. But prayer. There, there seems to be the implication. And, and Christians, I want to make sure you catch this. There seems to be the implication that in what the disciples were doing with all authority, somehow they stopped being they stopped casting out demons through prayer and were just casting out demons without prayer. There seems to be the the implication from Jesus that even though you guys were doing what I told you to do, there were some ways in which you were supposed to do it. That when you come up against this type of situation, you're going to need something more. That prayer, this this kind of basic aspect of what it meant to, to be walking with God, somehow that aspect left the demon casting out approach. And so I say, don't you forget don't you overlook that? Don't you miss that, Christians? Because sometimes we can forget the basics. Sometimes we can forget the, 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 the more simple things that the Christian life is calling us to. I'm standing here convicted, and what I was supposed to say to y'all was some of the basics of prayer. But God has keep saying to me, Leon, the basics of rest. Like the the basics of rest in Christ and how that feeds you and allows you to have space to overflow, have space for, for hearing from God, to have space for being able to think about blessing for someone else, to have space for being able to just be and know that you are loved. Sometimes it's the basics of rest or the basics of prayer where we don't respond with our impulses and our programs and our strategies and our plans and all these other things that might be effective, but are not getting towards the deeper root, which is a spiritual issue. See, prayer is one of our main weapons against spiritual issues. And, and pastor, do you believe demons still exist? Do you believe demonic forces are real? Do you believe in demons? Yes, I do. 100%. And not because of some spooky seances and stuff like that, but, but, but because of a, a few things. The first thing is I believe in it because of how the Bible speaks of it. 
because of how God's word communicates it to us and explains it to us, because of, because of the, the beautiful book of Ephesians, this, this healthy understanding of church and Christian living. And one of the things said in chapter 6 is for our struggle, verse 12, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So I believe in demons. And trying to equip and make sure that that the Christian body, uh, the equipping of God's people would take place. First Peter 5, 8 says this. It says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. It's, it's, it's clear that there are demonic forces at play within our lives. But the last one is kind of like the one that we've like uh, glamorized or we have uh, enjoyed it so much that we've become desensitized to the reality of it. The Lord's Prayer. Lord's Prayer. The, The words that Jesus gave us for how to pray. Our Father, hallowed be your name. You know? That, that prayer that, that the little ones begin learning in Sunday school and in, and, in, and, in, and in kids' church. Notice what it says towards the end. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Evil. This is what we are to be praying. And so I don't... Think of demonic forces uh, as, as, as things that I want to conjure up and want you to experience. I think of it because it's real. Because it's real. In, 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 in an article called Dealing with Demons, Eowyn Stoddard uh, wrote this article in Gospel Coalition. And he wrote it back in 2013. He's a missionary that was overseas in the country that he was in. Uh, He can't say uh, because of the the persecution against Christians. But here's a brief statement of what he said. He said, numerous strange events transpired. Leaders of urine poured into our stroller, blood splattered on our apartment door, a small hole drilled into our front door, indicating a a planned break in. The hole is used to insert a small probe camera. Much sickness, poor sleep and even sensing an evil presence in our bedroom. At first we thought we must be imagining things, but the horrid climax, the, but the horrid climax was the nightmares that tormented our two-year-old son. For many months, he'd wake up screaming bloody murder, and we could not easily settle him back down. At two and a half, he was finally able to verbalize what he'd been dreaming about for the past few months. One of his most vivid dreams was about a woman with black hair and red eyes who wore a bra and black pants and would offer him a basket of rotten food and force him to eat. His nightmare was X-rated, not a typical toddler being chased by a bear type dream. Demonic stuff is real. And so as I want to equip you to be able to wrestle with what it means like in despair to still pursue Christ, 
what it also means to, to have doubt, but not allow that doubt to freeze you in a place of uncertainty, but to allow that doubt to be what you present in a sincere honesty to Jesus so that he can respond and care for you. I also need to make sure you are equipped in understanding the reality that there are forces that are working against us, family. That we are Christians that represent Jesus and Jesus has an adversary and that adversary hates you. And he hates me. But the beauty, the, the, the joy the hope that we have is that Satan is defeated. And so in this reality that, that demons are real, we also have a weapon to fight against this enemy. And that weapon is prayer. That weapon is prayer, family. I present this to you because some of you have varying demonic experiences. This is where it gets a little a little wacky because, hey, pastor, how do you know exactly when something is demonic and when it's not? I don't fully know. I think that people do get possessed today. Yes. Do I think that happens with Christians? No, I do not think you can take over the, that a demon can kick out the Holy Spirit. <laughs> not at all. But do I think that we we are affected by evil schemes that seek to steal our joy, that seek to harm us, that can do everything from make us just feel weighty sometimes to having horrible dreams? Yes, I do. I wish it was not the case. And I've, I've been struggling whether to say this at all. But last night, as I'm praying and I'm thinking about this sermon and I'm wrestling about with what to say, both of my sons had nightmares. And you could say, that's coincidence, Pastor. What y'all had, Lee, you cook dinner. And you know when you cook, everything, everybody had nightmares. You know what I'm saying? Like you <laughs> no, I ain't even cook. But, 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 but you could say, that's just a coincidence. Because, okay. Wasn't a coincidence for me. That as I'm reading through these scriptures and I'm trying to ask the Lord, how do I how do I present to a community that's walking with Jesus the importance of not overlooking the enemy's schemes and plans to wreak havoc in their lives? And the reality and I'm reading about these missionaries who every day are interacting with environments that are very different, not our comfortable, safe couches where we're tuning in and just enjoying uh, uh, church while we drink coffee. Like, no, like like they are on the front lines in some different ways. And they're talking about these experiences. And then my wife calls me and says, come down, your son is scared. And when I go to get in bed, my other son is already up. And he says, Dad, I'm scared. And we pray together. And we pray together. And we pray together, family. We're talking about this new way of this, this, this new year. You got a whole new year. Pastor, why are you bringing this up in, in a new, this is January. You're supposed to be talking about like dieting and exercise and stuff. Family, I want to see you thrive in 2021. And some of you may not be possessed by demonic forces, but you lay hold and close tightly to some demonic activity. 
some stuff that is breaking the fabric of your relationship with Christ. And you don't want to let it go. Some stuff that is causing pain within the relationships that you have with people who love you, whether it's your family or whether it be your spouse and you don't want to let it go. Some of you are breaking God's heart because you would rather say, I'll just stay maybe in this place of doubt, this place of uncertainty. Or you don't want to call out what you're involved in and what you're clinging to as something that could be demonic. Family, I'm asking, not because I'm thinking of any one individual, but because I'm looking in the mirror and I see patterns where, where there's this temptation, y'all, and you know what it's like, this temptation to be able to experience something and indulge in something that's not godly. I don't care what it is. For you, it might be food. For you, it might be um, uh, intimacy, whether it's emotionally with somebody or physically with somebody. For someone else, it might be like, I don't know what it is, but you know what it feels like when something overtakes you and takes over the way you feel and you feel find great delight in something that is so wrong. That's demonic. That's Satan and his evil schemes seeking to harm you, wreak havoc on you and family. I want you to present it before God. Help me, Lord. I don't understand even what it could look like to be clean from this, to be saved from this, to be out of this. But help my unbelief. Church family, you are a a blessing. And Rebecca and Mike and James in our worship time today, they sang, take it to the Lord in prayer. He desires it, family. He wants it. But don't wait until it's something at its most extreme point. Start ridding your life of unhealthy, demonic tendencies, activities, cycles, whatever you call it. And let us put our trust, our hope, our faith in one who wants to answer us and wants to de- Deliver us. Because notice, even though the disciples had a role to play, the father had a role to play. The one who gets all credit for the healing is still Jesus. It's still Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and he is our healer. He is the one who can rid us from anything that does not bring him glory. He is the one that can set healthy patterns. And when sometimes it's beyond what we can imagine, that which we can't imagine, we can bring to him and he can fulfill beyond our wildest thoughts. Take it to the Lord in prayer, family. If you are a person that is listening to these words and you're saying, wow, I know what I just came into. This brother is talking about demons and possession. 
What we're, what we're welcoming you into is a reality that is spiritual. One where we are all here physically, but someday we will meet God and have the opportunity to be with him forevermore. That's what heaven is, where this physical body wears away, but we get to be in the presence of God fully forever. Or in rejecting Jesus and saying, Jesus, you were not God. Jesus, you were not worth being the authority of my life. I'm good enough without you. Then we experience hell. Because hell means to be removed from the presence of God for eternity. And that's painful. Only described as like fire burning us at all times. And so we want to offer you the opportunity, not out of fear, but out of love to experience a God who says, I love you so much that I've died for you. And I'm giving you tools to be able to conquer the enemy who hates you. I died for you on the cross so that you could live. The tool I give you is prayer. Use it. Use it. And in dying for us, we get to have new life in Jesus. If you are a person that says today, I'm tired. I'm tired of losing in life. I'm tired of struggling. I'm tired of trying to be my own God. And I want to submit to the God who's created all things. Then we invite you today to simply pray with me. Lord, I believe you. I submit to your ways. Your ways are better than mine. Help me understand what it means to love you and to live for you. Forgive me for the ways that I've hurt you and sinned against you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If that is your prayer today, the words might be off and mixed up a bit, but if that is your heart posture, then we celebrate with you today a new day, a new a new moving forward in Christ, a new life that you get to experience. And we hope you'll join me for the Zoom call after this, Zoom uh, video after this. But as believers that walk with Jesus, we're not talking simply about like praying against demons for other people and I want y'all to rush out and go try to do exorcism and stuff like that. No. Today we're talking about doubt talking about when we're in despair, how does doubt, how can doubt be used as a tool to help us grow in Christ, not lead us to disbelief in Christ? And then what does it look like for us to acknowledge when, when sin is present, when there's demonic influences that are having an effect on our lives and where we will say, Enough is enough, God. We're coming to you in prayer and trusting that you will respond and that we in fellowship will join with our sisters, join with our brothers and trusting God and seeking God on one another's behalf. There's some big stuff going on in our world right now, y'all. Some unbelief type moments and some demonic moments. But family, we can trust God in the midst of it all. And I invite you to do that with me.
Let us pray. God, you are in control. And we are called to take it to you in prayer, not simply out of a, a, a tradition or out of a routine, but out of a delight. Out of an opportunity, Lord, to to work this tool, wield this muscle, use this weapon that you've given us. All for kingdom glory. Help us. Free us. My goodness, Lord, what it would look like in 2021 if some of the, the, the sinful patterns and behaviors and addictions and lifestyle, like, well, God, I don't, if all, if, if there were some of those things were just shattered and broken because of the way we pursued you and trusted you in prayer, Lord, how would our lives look different? We're excited to see it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Family, I want to remind you that this coming Tuesday is our Tuesday of prayer. We want you to be present. You know, a couple of steps that you can begin to take. Step number one, uh, in the middle of February, Lent is going to be coming up. So you can begin thinking now, Lord, bring to my mind things that Satan is doing that's wreaking havoc and having a, uh, an influence on my life. Things that I want to fast and pray about through Lent. This coming Tuesday, actually, we're going to be uh, in our prayer time talking about fasting. And I can't go into fasting fully here. Some versions, actually, of, of the Bible, some translations, actually have this moment in Mark 9 saying fasting and prayer. And so, but we know that the, the thrust and the emphasis is on a robust and a, and a true seeking out in prayer. But fasting is a tool as well. And so this coming Tuesday during our prayer time, we're actually going to be focusing on fasting. And if you would like to, I invite you to join me in prayer for sure on Tuesday, but also join me as we'll be fasting. I'll be fasting. And I invite you uh, to, to fast in the way that you desire. And we're going to break the fast after the time of prayer on Tuesday. Amen. And so we would love to have you be a part of it.